Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit mbcmetairie.org. Now, here's this week's message. Well, this morning, if you got your Bible, I want you to turn with me. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be in verses 14 through 21. Verses 14 through 21. This morning, what I want to talk to you about is supernatural living. Over the past couple of weeks that we have been walking through Romans chapter 12, we've been talking about relationships. We've been talking about relationships within the context of the church, the body of Christ. And so we have been looking at at several uh, spiritual principles. But today, what I want us to see is that there are relationships that you have that aren't just spiritual. There are relationships that you have that absolutely take supernatural power. Living for Jesus is not just the discipline of reading your Bible and praying and coming to church and giving, worshiping. Living for Jesus means that there is a power in your life that cannot be expressed. And many times you have felt it when you are doing all the right things. Have you ever been there? You've been doing all the right things, but there is a sense of burnout because even though you're doing those right things, there is no power within that comes from the Holy Spirit into your life to not just live a natural Christian life, but to live a supernatural Christian life. Can I give you an analogy to kind of lock in your mind this morning? I was thinking about deep sea exploration. Deep sea exploration has, of course, advanced by leaps and bounds. You know, we've been watching, you know, space exploration and companies like SpaceX that are going into space. But a lot of times we don't think about how we haven't looked over all the places of the earth, particularly when it comes to deep sea exploration and how it has grown by leaps and bounds over the years as technology and equipment have gotten better and better. I was, I was reading back when, uh, just kind of doing a little search on deep sea exploration. Back in 1521, Ferdinand Magellan tried to measure the depth of the the Pacific Ocean. He said, you know that, you know, we can't go all the way down there, but what if we can just measure the depth of the Pacific Ocean? You know how he did it? So he goes out in a ship. He had a weighted line and he just dropped it down and he just kept dropping it down, dropping it down, dropping it down. Did you know he didn't find the bottom. He didn't find the bottom. And so they knew that it was deep. But we have over the past several years, really over the past about 70, 80 years, man, just the technology, we have been able to go uh, farther down in the ocean than ever before. And as you know this, the farther down you go in the ocean, the more pressurized the ocean becomes. And the farther you go, if you don't have something around you, you will absolutely be squashed. If you go down deep enough, the ocean's pressure will flatten you like a pancake because the deeper you go, the more pressure there is. That's why when when divers went looking for the Titanic, they had to make the trip in a small pressurized submarine. 
And the reality is, if a diver went to investigate the Titanic on the bottom of the ocean without that submarine, he would be totally destroyed because of the pressure in his body is less than the pressure in the water. And so here's what I want us to understand, even before we dive into this, especially when it comes into the context of relationships. In the natural realm, there are limitations. If you were to go out and dive into the ocean right now, you could go down pretty far. Some of y'all, uh, perhaps you love to scuba dive. That's one of your favorite things to do. And so you have learned all about the pressure and things like that. But still, even then, you can only go so far. The reality is, is that in order for you to go deeper and deeper and deeper, you can only go naturally so far, but the deeper and deeper you go, you have to have something around you. Even though the water is squeezing against that submarine, trying to collapse it, it can't because the submarine has been pressurized. So the diver can go deeper and deeper and deeper and still remain safe and secure because the pressure on the inside is greater than the pressure on the outside. Can I just talk to you this morning? Many times as Christians, we go out from this building or you go out from whether you're, wherever you're watching from and we go into a world of pressure. We go into a world of pressure when it comes to relationships. We go into a world of pressure when it comes to our finances. We go into a world of pressure at, at work and at home. I mean, it's just we're, we're, we're constantly surrounded by that type of, of pressure. But what happens is we have a pressure from the inside. We have a power from the inside called the Holy Spirit. And the reality is we can go deeper and deeper deeper and deeper in our relationship with God, even though there is so much pressure on the outside. When you are pressured on the outside, you won't cave in. And so if you got your notes this morning, can I just go ahead and start us right out? We're going to read the passage here in just a second. But here's what I want us to gather this morning. Going down to the bottom of the ocean without a submarine is impossible, but here's what God is looking for in a spiritual sense. God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. I want you to hear that loud and clear. That even though I know there's the daily grind, I know there's going to work, going to school, you know, watching kids, you know, relationships, all of those things. But I want you to hear this loud and clear. God wants to do the impossible in your life. Do you believe that? Do you believe, God, you can do things. You can take me to a depth that I would never be able to go naturally, but you want me to go to a depth supernaturally, supernatural living. Do you believe that? Because I want to give you a couple of verses, maybe that you just draw, jot down a couple of these references. John 14, verse 12. John 14, verse 12. Jesus said, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me, listen to this, will also do the works that I do. And he will, listen, will even do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about how God can use you to do greater 
things than Jesus did while he walked on the face of the planet? I think a lot of times we think, oh, there's no way. Like Jesus is the pinnacle. But this says in John 14, 12, he says, no, the one who believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, but they will even do greater works, greater works. That's a promise from Jesus himself. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus, you want me to do greater things than you? Yeah, he does. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because the stipulation right here is the one who believes in me. Man. And then Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, the apostle Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. So God wants to do in your life things that you can't even imagine. You can't even imagine. Sometimes we like, okay, God, maybe you have a vision for your life. Okay, I can only do this much or go this much. He says, I want to do stuff in your life that you can't even imagine. He says, now listen to this, according to the power that works, listen to this, in us. Do you see that? Not outside of us, in us, the power that comes inside of us. So God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. Now listen to this. Here's what I want you to write right after that. However, sometimes the impossible takes place on the inside rather than the outside. Let me tell you, I love it when I see miracles. I love it. I love praying for folks to be healed and boom, they're healed. I love to pray for people and their, their finances. And, you know, you've heard the story that just out of the blue, we had a person last year uh, that, or actually this year, this year, that was just going through a, a time. We had a church member say, you know what? Um, I just felt it laid on my heart to give you $200. The very same day uh, a medical bill came and you know how it is in the amount of? $180. They got, they got, you know, $20 to tithe and, you know, and $180 to give towards that. I love seeing miracles. God is still in the business of miracles. If someone says that, you know, God doesn't really do that stuff anymore, anymore, don't listen to that. He is still in the business of doing miracles in our life. So a lot of times we, we get so excited about the external miracles and we should. But sometimes I want you to hear this, that the miracle takes place inside of you. Yeah, let me tell you, when there's heart change, have you ever seen someone who's just so hard-hearted and their life is turned around? God's doing those miracles on the inside. God does miracles on the inside of us, especially when it comes to relationships that are difficult. Not just difficult, sorry. Relationships, you have them in your life. They're not just difficult, they're impossible. They're impossible. And God wants to do a miracle in your life. So I want you to join with me in verse 14 of uh, Romans chapter 12, as we talk about this, this topic of supernatural living when it comes to those relationships. Look at this. Bless those who persecute you. Hmm. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Or your Bible may say, be willing to associate with those with low position. Do not be wise in your own estimation, or your version may say, do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. What a timely word in the world that we're living in. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, 
Do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. We'll talk a little bit about what that means. Confusing statement. Verse 21 says, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So if God wants to do the impossible with us, he wants to do the, the impossible even in our relationships. We've been talking about a, a spiritual posture. Two weeks ago, we talked about having that spiritual posture. But today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about having a supernatural posture. A posture with the way that you carry yourself, some principles in your life that you cannot do on your own. I'm not here to say work a little better or do a little harder or just keep this in your mind. No, 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 no. You cannot do these without the power of God in your life. So let's talk about the spiritual posture, spirit, supernatural, supernatural posture number one. I want you to write this down. We bless our persecutors. We bless our persecutors. This is a level of depth that you cannot go without the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 14, we'll read it one more time. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Did you know that the Bible says, 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, in fact, all of those who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Did you catch that? That's a promise. If you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you are going to be persecuted, which leads me to a, a, another point. If you're not being persecuted, am I living fully? I don't know. There, there's some things there. In fact, all that live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 45, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Wow. Love your enemies? I mean, don't, don't you mean tolerate your enemies? Isn't, isn't that what you mean, God? Like, don't you? You know, it's good. I'll tolerate them. You know, they do their thing, my thing. Let, let's not let our paths cross each other. I mean, when the Bible says, love the Lord your God, okay, you know, that warms my heart. I love God with all my heart. Bible says, give to the needy, okay. Bible says, build your house on the rock, okay. It says, love your enemies, and we have passed the realm of hard, and we have entered into the realm of impossible. Love those who are persecuting me, the ones who have tried to hurt me, the ones who have tried to destroy me, the ones who have tried to use me or have used me, Surely you mean, surely you don't mean bless my persecutors. Surely you just mean tolerate my persecutors. And Jesus says, no, you bless them. You know, and I think as we, as we think about like even the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 9, fruit of the Spirit is love. And a lot of times, you know, the very first the one right there on the page, the fruit of the Spirit is love. I, I love that. Helps me love, but it helps you to love the people that are absolutely unlovable in your life the people who hate you, the people who have hurt you. How do you do it? Can I just be honest? The, you do it, but you've got to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's key. 
And you have to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Remember that when Jesus was on the cross, don't miss this, when Jesus was on the cross, he has been whipped, he has been punched, they have taken his beard, those of y'all that have beards, I'm jealous of you this morning, okay, I love, love that, but they took his, his beard and they have ripped it out, he's up there naked on a cross, and don't miss this, he says, Father, forgive them, because they have no idea what they're doing. And then, do you know what the passage goes on to talk about? It doesn't talk about him crying out, you know, Father, receive my spirit. Even, even right after that, even right after he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The soldiers are at the ground. He's raised up. He's looking down at the soldiers who are gambling for his clothes. And he's just looking at them saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Some of you in this room, I even bear, uh, it's so hard. Because you have been in situations that I can't even imagine. And my heart is just broken for you. My heart breaks for you in this room who have been abused. You in this room have, who have been violated. It's so hard to have that connection. But I want you to hear loud and clear that even if other people can't understand your pain, I want you to hear this loud and clear this morning. Jesus Christ can understand your pain. He can understand your pain. Violated, uh, abandoned. Think, think of Judas. Judas, one of the closest guys, walked with this guy for three years, and the guy turned on him for money. And in the midst of all that, Jesus looks back at everyone who's persecuting while he's hanging on the cross, while he's in the midst of his pain, and he says, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. Supernatural postures to bless our persecutors. Jesus did it. We can do it through the power of his Holy Spirit. Second posture that I want you to write down is that we share our triumphs and tragedies. We share in our triumphs and tragedies. Look with me in verse 15. It says right here, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I want to kind of turn around. I'll kind of go to the, the weep with those who weep first. Let me tell you, this is a lot harder than it sounds. You think, okay, if something's good going in someone else's life, okay, I can meet them with something good. If something's hard going through somebody's life, you know, I can, I can meet them there. But this is so much harder than it sounds. Weeping with those who weep is so important. We're called to carry each other's burdens. Let me, let me just give you a great example of, of weeping with those who weep. And then I just want to kind of bring this home, especially I want to talk to the men here in our, in our congregation and those that are watching online. A perfect example of this is the shortest verse that we have, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now many of you guys know Jesus wept, okay? It's not the hardest verse in the Bible to memorize. Okay, let's just be honest. But it's John in chapter 11, verse 35. Do you know the context of this verse? Do you know it? The context of this verse is that he's got some good friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And they're all siblings, adult siblings. 
And Lazarus has gotten sick and he has died. And now Jesus is on the scene four days later. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And so Jesus approaches. All these people are crying. All these people are are weeping. They're going through that, just that that tough period. And and you know the story, right? You know that within like a few moments, Jesus is going to call out to Lazarus. And he's going to say, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And he's going to bring Lazarus back to life. And everything's going to be okay. Jesus knows that. But the people around him don't know that. And so when he comes on the scene, everyone's crying. Uh, Mary and Martha are just weeping. And they said, they even accused him. If you had been here, Jesus, you could have put a stop to all of this. Do you notice that Jesus didn't roll his eyes and be like, I'm about to heal him, you know? I'm about to take care of all of this. Just slow your roll. We're going to get through this together. Do you notice that Jesus doesn't do that? He meets them where they are. And that's where we get this verse, Jesus wept. See, he could have been like, no, guys, he could have tried to explain everything away. Guys, everything's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Don't worry. Don't cry. He could have said that, but he didn't because he met them where they are. And man, that's, he already knew the outcome. He got in the trenches with them and he wept and he empathized. I want to talk to the guys in the room this morning. Guys, I'm right there with you sometimes. It is so easy when the people around us, maybe your wives are going through something and, and you're just looking at them like like a dog sometimes looks at you know and someone whistles a high tune you're just kind of turning your head because you're you're trying to empathize you you want but but sometimes you even roll your eyes when your wife or your children or when a friend goes through a tough time and i just want you to hear loud and clear true men of god Follow the example of Jesus who don't roll their eyes, who don't blow off the people in their lives, but they get in the trenches with them. And I just want you to hear that loud and clear this morning. When you read this passage, weep with those who weep. Sometimes the best thing you can do, guys, put your armor on your wife and just say, I'm so sorry. Don't roll your eyes at her. When your kids, I'm telling you, when your kids are screaming and hollering over the smallest little paper cut, get in the trenches with them. Put your arm around them and tell them it's going to be okay. This is what supernatural living, your, your natural living wants to just, wants to blow them off. Supernatural living says, I love you. We're going to make it through this together. So there's also, so there's weeping with those who weep. So there are tragedies, but there's also triumphs. And I'll be honest with you, I I feel like that's harder to do. You know, when someone's down and out, you know, it's to to empathize with them and and to be somber with them is, is one thing. But let me tell you, when someone goes through a triumph in their life, they got the promotion and you didn't. You look on social media and they got the new car and you're just struggling to pay for your old jalopy. It's hard. It's difficult. And so when you hear that, to look at them and and to say congratulations, to rejoice with those who rejoice, that is able to come only by the Spirit of God inside you. It is supernatural when that happens. All different things in life. 
And then the third thing that I want you to write down, so a supernatural posture number three, that we consider no one beneath us. We consider no one beneath us. I want you to look with me in verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. I'm going to uh, come to that, back to that in just a second. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble or be willing to associate with those of low position. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So we consider no one beneath us, okay? I, I was reading this week of... At the meeting of the American Psychological Association, there's a man named Jack Lipton. He was a, he's a psychologist at the Union College and R. Scott Billion and a graduate student of Columbia University. They presented their findings, listen to this, some of y'all that are musically inclined, on how members of the various sections of an 11 major symphony orchestra perceived each other. So, man, isn't it great when you go and you hear an orchestra and they're all playing, they're all coming together as one? Well, what they did is they did a survey amongst all the members of this orchestra, and they just wanted to see how they felt about one another. It's fascinating. Listen, listen to this. The percussionists were viewed as insensitive. Ooh, I was a percussionist growing up. Unintelligent and hard of hearing. Probably because they like to beat things really loudly. But yet they were fun-loving. The string players were seen as arrogant, stuffy, and unathletic. The orchestra members overwhelmingly chose loud as the primary objective to describe the brass players. Woodwind players seem to be held in highest esteem. So those that play, you know, flute and piccolo and all that kind of stuff. So clarinet, saxophone, amen, amen, all right. So... Woodwind players seem to be held in the highest of esteem, described as quiet and meticulous, though a bit egotistical. <laughs> Interesting findings, to say the least, with such a widely divergent personalities and perceptions. How could an orchestra ever come together to make such wonderful music? The answer is simple. They subordinate their feelings and biases to the leadership of the conductor under his guidance. They play beautiful music. Isn't it interesting right here that in verse 16 it says, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. It's not always to get along with one another. It's not always, in fact, it's impossible to always get along with, with, with one another. But how do, we, how do we take all of our views, how do we take all of our, our biases and presuppositions is we don't keep our eyes on, on the others. We keep our eyes on Jesus. He is our conductor. He is the one who leads us. And when we are all keeping our eyes and the rhythm is upon Jesus, we let him set the rhythm. We're all following him that is when we come together in harmony have you ever been a part some of y'all have been a part of, 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 of music been a part of a symphony have you ever been a part of a, a symphony when, when you're all playing and it just falls apart I played I played in band in, in high school and there are these moments in practice and we just fell apart you know why because we weren't keeping our eyes on the conductor. You know why churches fall apart? You know why Christians fall apart? Is because they're not keeping their eyes on the rhythm of the conductor. And so we are not looking to one another that we don't consider anyone but beneath us. We have to keep our eyes peeled. Remember, Jesus was eating with sinners. 
And the religious leaders asked, you know what, why are you doing that? And he looked right back at him. He said, the healthy don't need a doctor. He said, we all need a savior. We all need the word of God. We all need these things. And that's why, that's why here it, it talks about, it says, it says, don't be wise in your own estimation. That doesn't mean that you can't be confident in yourself. But it means that you, you, are, you align yourself and your confidence comes from, from the, even the word of God. It comes from confidence in Jesus Christ. So we don't consider any one of us beneath us. Number four, the supernatural posture. Write this down. We respond to wrongdoing instead of reacting to it. Folks, this is important, especially in where our world is today. We respond to wrongdoing instead of reacting to it. Pastor Dan, what do you mean? Well, let's look at verse 17 first. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable. That's where you're not reacting. That's where you're not that knee-jerk reaction. You hurt me, I'm lashing out at you. No, 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 no. Give careful thought. That's no knee-jerk reaction to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Well, well Pastor Dan, you know, if, it's, if it says, you know, don't repay evil for evil, I mean, doesn't the Old Testament say an eye for an eye and a, a tooth for a tooth? Well, here's what we need to understand because I, I hear people bring this up all the time. When it talks about in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that pertained to civil justice it didn't pertain to revenge. And not only that, here's something that you've got to understand about that eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. It was to prevent a severity of punishment from exceeding the severity of the offense. So let me give you a great example. Someone knocks out your tooth or knocks out your eye. I don't know about you, but in my flesh, I want more than their tooth, don't you? In my flesh, if someone hits me or hurts me, I don't just want it to be equal. I want it to be above and beyond the way that they hurt me in my flesh. That's why there was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, so that you don't go beyond. Because all of us want to hurt them worse than they've hurt us. And even then, it wasn't meant to be a matter of revenge. It was just to be a matter of civil justice. And so that's why Paul comes on the scene here and he says, no, 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 we're not going to go with revenge. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 5, again, Sermon on the Mount, verses 41 and 42. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. They were legally, soldiers were legally able to force you to carry their pack one mile. Legally. But he says, you know what? If they force you to go one mile, he says, don't repay evil for evil, go with them too. You want to know why? Because it's going to blow their mind. Because they're not used to that. It says, give to the one who asks you. Don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow for you. So returning evil for evil does, listen to me, does nothing for the kingdom of God. It is typically impulsive. And that's why we respond. We respond instead of these knee-jerk reactions. I'm gonna meddle a little bit this morning, so just bear with me. As I watch what's on television, as I watch what's on the news, and I very rarely watch the news right now, I just, uh, it's just awful. I, I'm watching them with a perspective of when I see people 
who are being yelled at, screamed at. I'm asking God, if I were in their shoes, what would I do? I am. And I know that we have different perspectives all over this room, so I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to get into a political debate. But here's what I do. When I see, let me just use one example. When I see a woman who's told, you know, and she, folks come by, she's at a restaurant outside, you know, having an evening uh, with a friend or with her husband or whatever, and someone, a mob comes by and they say, lift your hand, lift your hand in the air, or we're just going to sit here and scream at you, scream at you, scream at you, scream at you, and she won't do it. I ask myself, I ask myself, instead of just getting angry and be like, oh, I ask, what would I do in that situation? And you know what? As I look at this and I say, you know what? Th these are the things that we have to think about. We have to think about. We have to figure out. We have to uh, be thoughtful to do what is honorable. So what's the impossible? Because I think many of us would either want to lash out on, on either side. You know what I don't see anybody doing? Because it doesn't get much of a media return. I don't see anybody standing up and just saying, come here. Let me shake your hand. Or let me give you a hug. Now I get there's COVID, all that, all that stuff. Okay, don't get into that. But I don't see people responding in love. What would happen if instead of raising a fist or shouting, going along, what if they embraced them and said, I'm so sorry that you feel this way? What would happen? It would change the atmosphere entirely. We respond to wrongdoing instead of reacting to it. Use this. I want you to dwell on this verse all week long. We could, we could talk about a million scenarios this morning. How do we respond instead of reacting? The fifth thing that I want you to write down this morning, supernatural posture. Number five, we build bridges of relationships. We build bridges of relationships. Now, I love this. Look, look how Paul writes this in verse 18. If possible, because he knows that in not every situation, it's going to be possible. But if possible, as far as it depends on you. So you can't be responsible for other people's responses and reactions. But if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. Here's what I want you to hear loud and clear. Your life is meant to build bridges of relationships. Today's children's church video is on the beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. There's nothing that distinguishes you. Listen to me. There's nothing that distinguishes you as a Christian like peace, like peace. When peace comes over you, now, now some of this is going to rub you wrong. Some of you will say, well, well, I need to be a person of justice. No, no, no. That, that's not what the biblical, that, that, uh, yes, we need to be people of justice, but that's not the distinguishing factor. The distinguishing factor is to be a person of peace. Hear that. So whether it's nations or individuals, hear this. Peace is a two-way street. By definition, peace, a peaceful relationship cannot be one-sided. And peace just doesn't just happen between two entities. It has to be made. That's why there's peace treaties. People I see all the time, sometimes people will go out of their way to hurt one another. We have got to be 
people of peace. Especially, I, I see this happen with, with folks that, that are divorced. And there's just no peace. And they're trying to outdo one another. And they're trying to, to get kids on their side. And, and it's just a, a sloppy mess. Hear this. The distinguishing factor where people will look at your life and they will look at my life and they'll say, there's something different about you is that there is an impossible peace upon their life. Do you have that? Do you express that? An impossible peace that only God can give. In fact, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says that that type of peace actually guards your mind in Christ Jesus. An impossible peace. Number six, write this down. Supernatural posture, number six. We retaliate with virtue instead of viciousness. We retaliate with virtue instead of viciousness. Sometimes the most, you know, sometimes the most gracious thing you can do, if you can't say any something nice, then maybe you shouldn't say anything at all. But a lot of times there's moments that, that we're called to say something. But what if we retaliated with virtue instead of viciousness? Read verses 19 and 20 with me. It says this. It says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Let's just, let's just stop there and talk, talk a little bit. Let me tell you, God can bring about vengeance a whole lot better than you can. So many times we want to be the one. God says, no, no, no. Let, let, me, let me handle this for you. Vengeance belongs to me. He says, I will repay. Not you will repay, says the Lord. But what are we called to do? Are we called to respond with viciousness? No, we're called to retaliate with virtue. So it says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you'll be heaping fiery coals on his head. When someone has hurt us, it's our natural tendency to get back at them. Some of you have laid awake at night because someone has hurt you and, and you just, you lay awake, you're in bed. Let's just, let's just talk openly. You know, this is nothing new. You lay awake and you said, if I had all the resources at my expense, I would do this and I would get back at them. You lay awake at night and that controls you. That doesn't, that doesn't liberate you. It's amazing at what lengths people will go back. They will, they will go to get back at one another. Revenge is really just the fruit of hatred. And it doesn't liberate you. It doesn't bring you freedom. It doesn't bring you peace. It doesn't bring you a sense of fulfillment. Revenge imprisons you. But what if we retaliated with virtue? What if we saw life through God's eyes? What if we saw how he, Jesus, hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You know, I have been in some churches that had just been riddled with gossip. Riddled. I mean, people are just constantly talking about backbiting, you know, all of this. And, and you know what? I thought to myself, I said, what if we still talked about people behind their back? But what if we just made a mandate that said, we're going to talk about people and we're going to say nothing but good things. What would happen? What would happen to a church if we said nothing but good things? You know, so-and-so, let me tell you, they've been such an encouragement to me. 
You know, so, so-and-so, man, they're, they're, they're a servant. So-and-so, man, they've got great leadership skills. I mean, what if, what if we just said, you know what, instead of viciousness, what if we, we said we're going to respond with virtue and we're just going to start talking good about people. We're going we're gonna to no longer talk about bad. We're going to talk about people good behind their back. I mean, what would happen? We might see a revival if that took place. We, we are committed to them. And then you've got this phrase here that it says that you will heap burning coals on their heads. Well, what on God's green earth does that mean? Well, let me help you understand. It, it referred to an ancient Egyptian custom when a person wanted to demonstrate public contrition. In other words, they, they, they felt guilt. He would carry the, the, on his head a pan of burning coals to represent the burning pain of his shame and guilt. The point here is that when we love our enemies and genuinely seek to meet his or her needs, we shame him or her for their hatred. What if we responded to people who were mean and vicious to us in a way that was so good that it just brought them to shame. That's what this is talking about. That you're heaping burning coals on their head, that, that they're ashamed of what they've been doing because you just keep loving them, keep loving them, keep praying for them, keep reaching out to them where you go out of your way. And can I just be honest with you this morning? People are watching how you react. People are watching how you react. Your kids are watching how you react. Your family members are watching how you react. What if we reacted with love and kindness? Final thing, supernatural posture number seven. Our weapon of choice, (laughs) our weapon of choice is always to do good. Our weapon of choice is always to to do to to do good. We we talked a little bit about uh, detesting evil and clinging to what is good. If you, if you missed a couple weeks ago, it kind of bookends here in verse nine. If you go all the way back to verse nine, it says, "Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good." Then you get on over into verse twenty one. Again, you've got that that second bookend. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Now. Let's just, let's talk a little bit. I love the way that the CSB talks about this using the word conquer. Some of your versions maybe say overcome, but, but let, let's just talk about this in the word, this military term conquer, okay? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not a fan of sports where you can tie. I just don't like sports where you, at the end of the game, I have, if I have put forth three hours to watch a game, I want, I want somebody to win, all right? I don't like ties. I love to hear about baseball when it goes like 15 innings. I might not stay up all night and watch those 15 innings, but I'll get up the next morning and say, who won? I love overtime in football, sometimes. If it's not the Saints and I'm biting my nails, all right? Having a panic attack. I love free kicks in soccer so that a winner can be declared. But when it comes to your life and my life, there is going to be a winner and there is going to be a loser. Either you are going to conquer evil or evil is going to conquer you. So how do we conquer evil? You have been given a weapon. You know what your weapon is to conquer evil? To do good. It's a weapon. Try this in your marriage of doing good to conquer evil. Try this in your broken friendships. Try this with your coworkers. Try this with your your ex-spouse to overcome evil with good. 
and to see what would we do? What would, what would happen if as broken as our nation is right now, what if we were the ones that overcame all the evil that we're seeing on television with good? What would happen? I want to share a little bit with you. There's an evangelist, as we get ready to close, um, an evangelist uh, who was in Brazil that I watched pretty recently, and he was going through, and I don't know if it was like a, I don't know if it was a, a Satanist convention or a Satanist church or something like that. I have no idea. But, you know, most things that if we saw that going on, maybe down in the French Quarter or something like that, we would either say, okay, I probably don't need to be down there, or I need to go around this, or maybe go out to eat, you know, but I'm not going down in there. But this particular evangelist went into the crowd of this satanic event, and you have all these folks, as I was watching it, that they're their faces have been painted white. They've got dark makeup on. Many of them have like sprayed some kind of red stuff on them, you know, to make it look like blood and whatnot. Just gross looking. And so anyway, he, 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 he moves through the crowd. As he goes through the crowd, he comes up to this one person in particular. He's got white makeup. He's got eyeshadow all over. And he's got these huge, he's got these huge goat horns that he's wearing on his head. I mean, this is, this is frightening, okay? And he goes up to him, and he has tattoos, and anyway, this evangelist says, uh, can, can I see your tattoos? I mean, just kind of strikes up a conversation. Can I see your tattoos? So he begins to show them to him, you know, and kind of talk about him, all that kind of stuff. He says, oh, are you, are, you in, are you into art? Are you into art? And they just began to have this conversation about having art, maybe, you know, going in and doing something into art. And then he begins to bring up Jesus he said, I just sense the Lord in my heart saying that you're going to do something with art. I sense that you're going to do something. Well, as soon as he brings up Jesus, immediately, I don't care who you are, Satanist or not, and he's got Satan like written across his chest, immediately his arms cross. Well, you know what this means, don't you? This means I'm closing myself off, I'm closing myself off. But again, he didn't respond to evil to evil. He responded to evil with good. And he said, hey, man, can I tell you a little bit of my story and he begins to share his story of getting hooked on drugs at age 11, not feeling like his parents ever loved him or valued him. And, and, and he said, so I would reach out to all these things, got into doing drug deals, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and before you know it, as he begins to talk about this value, said, I, I never felt valued. I went in this direction for my life. And it wasn't the same as, as this guy. But he said, I went in this direction for my life because I never felt valued. And then he begins to talk about how Christ came in, changed his life, and talk about value. And this, this Satanist, with all the makeup, all the blood, all the everything, begins to tear up. He goes from this, he's trying to hold it in. He's trying to hold it in. He goes from this to, to this, and he's listening. And all of this is actually taking place through an interpreter, because this was in Brazil. And so here he is, I mean, and, and the Holy Spirit is doing something right there. And the whole time, I mean, as a, as a minister, I, I'm, I'm watching this from the perspective, like, how in the world is he going to do this? You know, how in the world? And he's relating, he's talking about having, having value, how God has a value on his life. And by the end of the conversation, he didn't get saved, but by the end of this conversation, this evangelist takes his head with the horns, puts it up against his, and weeping, they pray together. That's 
That's overcoming evil with good. Now that's an extreme case. But I think that if it can happen on that level, that it can happen with our coworkers. It can happen with our family members. It can happen with our kids. It can happen with our friends. It can happen, look at me, with our enemies.